is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello out there and welcome once again to the Tap In Time podcast. This is episode number 15 and I'm Victor. I'm Gene. I'm Claire. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Bob. And I'm Bob, did we hear? Awesome. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's hard to believe we are 15 episodes into Tap In Time and we have yet to have had Chapman Stick Maestro Robert Culbertson. Well, the wait is over. Bob is here. Bob is, among other things, a musician first and foremost, an instrumentalist in the true sense, transforming feelings and emotions into beautiful music using the Chapman stick. Although more recently there have been forays into hand-panned, didgeridoo, and on the most recent album, acoustic guitar and Native American flute. Much of this is on full display on being, a wondrous expanse of ambience and rhythm that navigates a multitude of culture, creativity, and reflection, a masterful soundscape that excites the senses. We're going to talk about being, as well as how he got started in the music business and how he continues to deliver his unique brand of instrumental music with the Chapman Stick at its core. Bob, welcome to Tap in Time. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Oh, Gene, man. Gene, that was... That was beautiful. Oh, that's so thoughtful. Come on, (laughs) let's keep going. (laughs) I have real questions for Bob Culbertson. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'll get out of your way. Start talking. <laughs> Hopefully, I have okay. answers. <laughs> okay. So, Bob, where do puppies come from? <laughs> where do puppies come from? They come from other puppies that have grown up. Okay. All right. I like that. That is such a good answer. We can print that. <laughs> so. As long as we're talking about like, you know, creating new things, let's, let's talk about being for, for at least let's start our conversation with being, because I went into that listening to it before I read your introduction to the album. And it was almost as if you needed to have that in your mindset before you listen to the music. Tell us a little bit about the album, the concept or the idea of being. Well, the the music, I guess you'd say, I went to India about uh, two years ago, and we went for, it was kind of a cultural experience, um, without getting into details, but uh, over the last, let's see, that was actually more like three years ago now, because now, COVID kind of skews everything, <laughs> you know, yeah. time frames and all. But I had been working on the idea. Well, I'm going to start with this. First of all, I, and I know this is going to come up later in the, in the podcast, but music with trying to make some kind of a difference other than just creating music, not, not to take anything away from creating music and not to say it doesn't benefit people because it does, but trying to go a little bit beyond that and, and have some sort of a message toward human consciousness, okay, and toward, you know, world peace and all that, which is, of course, there's been so many, you know, musicians and things that have have stated that. John Lennon, you know, it it goes on and on. And being an instrumentalist, it's a little bit tougher because I don't have lyrics, okay? And there actually is a little bit of singing on this album, which is the first time I've even worked with any form of singing all the way back to African Rain, which is a thing that I did, you know, 20-some years ago. 
So that's how the inspiration of the album came about. And I've been listening to music styles such as Kirtan. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it, but it's very, very, very repetitive. And I've gone to a few Kirtan concerts and you would think there's a point where you just kind of go, okay, I don't know if I would have the patience or whatever to, to sit through it. Um, but it's just like meditating. It's the same thing. You know, do we have the patience in a sense, you know, clearing your mind. And I found that just being is sort of the, the bottom line to all of this of, of people of just uh, experiencing what's from within. And I picked the name of the album uh, because as I grew up, I was extremely fascinated by space, life on other planets. Of course, I watched Star Trek, the whole thing, you know, just like, just like that. And, uh, and that's all external. And it seems like there's an infant, infinite external direction you can go when you think about how, far, how big the galaxy is. And I've discovered in the last number of years the infinite internal that you can go infinitely inside yourself. And, Sounds uh, like so, calculus. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, and I don't want to get too much into all this, but that was the influence of the album. So I wanted to take what I did as a musician over the years, and instead of just thinking only about stick and techniques and things, more about how can I portray this feeling that I had about music and, and wanting to make some sort of a difference. And then, of course, in, this, in the album, you can hear the influences. The, the, the first track blew my mind. So the, the first oh, track you. is about 11 minutes long. And so it, it speaks to exactly what you were talking about, about, um, you know, in Western music, we're used to a verse and a chorus and a nice little intro that kind of hooks us in. And, and then something yeah. that happens, you know, there's this change and then there's this happy ending and then the song ends. And I don't think that, and I'm using the term Indian music or music from that region is really designed that way. It's right. really more like the sun is setting. And when the sun is setting, it takes, you know, like 10 minutes to do so. And so we have to paint that picture with drums and a sitar or whatever instruments were available. Right. So um, I hear that, you know, I hear musicians that are schooled in this type of music use the term raga. Mm -hmm. um, and that'd probably be the one thing that I know. So like, um, you know, I have a, a lot to learn about style of that region, but I, I do recall playing with musicians that took a long time to kind of set things up. They weren't in a hurry and it was, they were, they were trying to portray something and that really didn't fit into that three and a half minute mold. And that's what I'm feeling um, right from the get-go on this new album. Oh, great. Was this album done all on your own? Yeah. Um, well, 90. 6%. Uh, all the recordings was done except for the chanting, of course. I brought in some people that uh, they're, they're semi-local uh, to do that, that part on the album. And then there's a couple, which is something I haven't used, a few little samples I actually got. I actually finally pulled something off of the internet as a keyboard sample and put it in there. It's very, very minimal because I, I really like acoustic music because I think it's more organic it's just personally, for me, I like that. So even samples, sometimes I stray. But when you hear the <clears throat> Tibetan monks, you know, the singing in the beginning of it, you know, the drone, that's a sample. So there's a little bit mm. of samples, and, and of course the voices are not, are not mine. Mm. And everything yeah. else I played. 
I've seen you perform live with this foot pedal, with this 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 kind of breathing kind of apparatus that that powers this kind of like a squeeze box, and you've explained it to me on at least one occasion what it is. Could you share with us again what exactly that is when you use that live? Yeah, it's called a Shruti box. And it's basically a harmonium, but much smaller without a keyboard. And the Shruti box is used a, a lot in this style of music because it basically just creates a drone, mm -hmm. but it has little levers on it. So you set the drone. So like it could be, uh, say, a C and a G, which would be a root fifth in that key. And as you probably know this much, and that is in Eastern music, a lot of it's based around a drone, and then all the other notes are relative. That's where just tuning comes from, which I don't know how, if you're familiar with that or not, no. what, what that means. I even used that on the album. Uh, where no, I've I heard would, of just intonation, but I haven't... Or just really intonation. Actually, you're, I think you're more right. Just intonation. Correct. Yeah. Is there like yeah. a 30-second explanation of what that actually is? Yeah, I actually I have one because <laughs> as a teacher, I try to explain these things. But just intonation is basically you take a root note and then you take the relationship of the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and all the notes back down to the root. And it turns out, and this is oversimplification, that the minor third in Western music is slightly flat and you need to sharp it a little bit, about 12 cents. It also turns out that the major third is slightly uh, sharp, so you have to flat it. Now, that's why you hear all these arguments about, well, the stick can't always stay perfectly in tune, and this instrument's not, and this is that, blah, blah, blah. That's just because we, we don't play in just intonation. Yeah, well, I guess you really can't, can you? Not with a fretted you, instrument. No. So what I actually did was I took the song, the, the pieces that I played, and not the whole album, but on some of the chords and the lead parts, whatever the chord was at the moment the lead was playing, if any of the notes were a third, I adjusted them just to see what would happen. And so I would slightly move the note up a third or down a third. So especially on that first song, a lot of the melodies on the stick are adjusted slightly for that intonation. Wow. I didn't know that. You know, it's just an experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to listen to it again. And... and um, I mean, you, I don't think that you do concept albums, but you do kind of themed albums. Right. And this is a, like a, a dramatic shift for themes for me. Because acoustic was like, oh, it's on the acoustic. I get it. Okay, I got it. Yeah. But then, you know, then there was the Beatles stuff and then there was the Celtic stuff, right? And, and we're, like, we're, we're heading in that direction. But this is, it's really, it's a great listen because I like that ambient style of music and, uh -huh. and that creatively flowing music, but I get bored of it quickly. So what I like about this is that there's an, it, like there's an instrumentalist at its core. And it's not just like a keyboardist with some samples. It's right. like someone that has a statement to make with an instrument with this beautiful ambient soundscape underneath it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, thank you. And that's, that's what I try to do because there's that balance I'll use the band Yes as an example. You know, one of my favorite groups is that they're, they're instrumentalists, but if you listen to some of their later songs like Awaken, I don't know if you ever heard it before, it's a pretty amazing composition that goes for 15 or 19 minutes, depending on which version you hear. But it has all this musical you know, ability, whatever, technical, I guess is the word. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's really portraying this feeling that you get. And to me, that's what I'm really drawn to is not ambient music, and not just musician music, but, and I've, you know, we as musicians try to fight that sometimes. I go, God, I, I, 
I'm, I'm being too technical, you know, mm-hmm. don't play technical, don't play technical, play emotional. And sometimes it's hard not to because you tend to train yourself to do this stuff and then you want to play it. And yeah. I tell students all the time, I go, you know what, you're only training yourself to be able to physically play, but you're expanding the emotion that you can, you can put out. But the minute you're in a concert, and I could tell you there's a hundred times this has happened, I'll go, oh, you know, I'm on that chord. I could play that harmonic minor over this chord. I'm going to do that run. It, it, it's a train, not a train wreck, but it just doesn't come out as good. Because my mind just took over, said, play that scale over that chord, rather than just letting my fingers and my ears move. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Hmm. So I have a, a question. Uh-huh. Yes. The influence, I think, of, of let's say, non-Western music has been before this album, I think, yes. going back like Hemispheres and Colors, and I've, I've seen you play live with the Shruti Box and all that stuff, and just what, what the, the choices you're making melodically and harmonically, um, I think, are prior to this album, and you mentioned you, you went to India, and I'm curious... How much were you influenced just more experientially or did you specifically study this music? Was going to India, did you get a chance to play with folks or are you, are you listening? What, what specifically are you listening to? I'm just curious how how that came to be within like your practice. Yeah, I, and that's a good question. And I think you put it, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. The first thing you said, it's an experience. And really, don't I don't want to lead people wrong. The album is really not a study in Eastern music because if you listen to real Eastern music, it's quite different from what I did. Just that first track. Though. Yeah, but that it's salted in took there. Me there. Yeah, I mean, and if you listen to the end of that first track, the last three minutes with the chant, that's mm-hmm. kind of kirtan music. Mm-hmm. But then I did a little David Gilmour imitation on top of it. You know, I'm just using his name as a. I can't think of a different way to describe it. So, you know, well, I, I guess, I mean, there's, there's obvious Eastern influence. Um, and, right. and I'm curious how that came to be for you. I think it's just searching, you, you know, like with the Celtics thing, it's, it's, I love music and I love all kinds of styles of music and different genres. And I love music, especially that pours out culture. To me, that's just so cool. And I hope the world doesn't become so homogenized that, you know, I grew up loving fusion, you know, Chick Corea, you know, bless his heart, right? Mm. You know, fusion, you know, and I love all that. But sometimes I have a fear of like us musicians trying to use all these cultures and everything becomes a blend all the time. (laughs) So that is kind of a, um, what do you call that? Uh, There's kind of a conflict there a little bit. But that anyway, to answer your question, yeah, I just like listening to music. Uh, I just played with a guy yesterday that came over the house. He plays Balkan music. On the, but he plays it on the mandolin, which is not a true Balkan instrument, but it, it, it emulates it. And well, that's really cool, you know. So yeah. I just have a love of different mm. styles of music. And it's how you interpret it. And you kind of make it your own. And that's, as a stick player, it's so fun for us to hear because it's as though someone who was trained in, I mean, you've, if you're trying to trick us, Bob Culbertson, it worked. <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> To me, it feels like it's played with passion. I hear it right away. Thank you. And it's played yeah. in this certain type of style. And, and like, I'm like, oh, it makes, me, it makes me think of this, you know? And then, the, you know, as I got in more into the album, I started to hear, oh, there's more the kind of more traditional, right. kind of, you know, like the, the second right. track. But that was like something I'd expect to hear off another album, you know? It's right. Like, 
Yeah, that second track was intentionally uh, played with the thought. I wanted to play something as stick-like and as <laughs> middle of the road. I don't know why I just thought that way, but I wanted it to be very just right middle of the road, stick, almost cliche, on purpose. Yeah. sort of the, the things you're trying and, and playing, it feels like your stick is always just a stick. It's like you don't seem to do a lot of processing. It's a very acoustic sounding instrument, a very clean stick. And and that seems to be, and I, and I could be wrong here, I won't. You have a lot of albums and I won't claim to have listened to everything. Yeah, um, but in general, it seems like you tend to stick with yeah. mostly unprocessed stick. And I don't know if that's I, I'm curious about that <laughs> yeah yeah no that's a good question as well um i have tried a lot of different things i tried i, I tried some looping i had um actually i would say now it's probably been 25 30 years i had seven space rack midi playing with pads trying to put different midi triggers on different strings all kinds of things and i i found personally for me that um i was turning too many knobs and honestly, I'm really nowhere even, I'm not a tech guy at all. I'm kind of a tech buffoon. <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I just don't resonate a lot with technology. And that's nothing wrong with that or good or bad. It's just, it happens to me. So I always found myself kind of coming back. And even on the earlier albums, like A Moment in Time Cafe, they were recorded with more delay on them. And then right before the, I ended up to, to release it, I went, it just, it, it sounds digital I guess it started to sound too digital and that was just a personal choice and my opinion about looping and all that is is that and synthesizers is that there are times I love it if you listen to Guillermo Cides I mean that's an art form with looping you know Glenn does it or you know so people use looping Greg does it that in a in an extremely uh, great manner and, and same thing with synthesis. If you listen to Michel Jean Jarre, I don't know if I pronounce his name right, the French, um, I love that form of synthesis because it's a synthesizer. It's not trying to copy another instrument kind of a thing. So anyway, for me, long story short, I just found that I did delve into those things occasionally and I would put the effect on there. And for some reason, eight out of 10 times, I, would, I, I tend to take it out. <laughs> that's good. And that, that's kind of the perfect, segue to our yeah. to our next kind of topic here. Yeah, well I remember it was probably 3 years ago at uh, on Gabriella Island when you were there, Bob, and uh, Claire was in the room for this as well, I think. And um you know, we were at the surf lodge and you were playing and yeah, you're not using any effects. I guess maybe you use some reverb, but I just was astounded by the way you would transition between songs and you didn't change any effects, but mm -hmm. the sound the sound did change. I remember the the one that really got me was when you started uh you know, you stopped one song, you you finished one song and then you started the Takata and Fugue in D minor 
And it was like all of a sudden, just for that beginning, it was so big and it just went from being this you know, you had finished the previous song quietly. I don't remember what it was. And then all of a sudden you just hammered into this Takata and Fugue and D minor and it filled the room. And, mm. and I'm pretty sure my, my, I'm pretty sure my mouth opened pretty wide. Whoa. Mm. And you know, this is a guy, you didn't, you didn't use your foot to tap any pedals to dial up something. It just all of a sudden, boom, you changed it. And as near as I can tell, there was no effects change in the stick, stick but the sound was so different. And, you know, so that's something that everyone marvels at, obviously, is that you do that somehow with just your fingers. You know, it, it's interesting. I've been listening to Danny Gatton a lot. So are you guys familiar with Danny Gatton? Danny Gatton's no. a guitar player from the Washington, D.C. area, mm -hmm. and he played a telly. And they say he was one of these greatest, like, undiscovered players. And he'd do these things with, like, the tone knob. And then he'd do these things with string bends, and he'd played a certain way. And, you know, with Telly, it doesn't have, you know, three pickups. It has two pickups. Telly doesn't have like a tremolo bar, right? It doesn't have all these things that other instruments have. So you have to use the instrument that you've been given. Right. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> like, you're kind of like, well, I'm not going to go play with the pedals. I am going to play with the stick though. So I feel like it really was like, there was more time spent actually playing the darn thing as opposed to kind of opening up Pandora's box with all these pedals. And um, it, it certainly shows, you know, um, because it just feels like there's more, there's more like craft and musicianship than like production and editing, you know, like, uh, or, or like soundscaping, you know, like, and, and I'm all for that stuff. I like that sort of sure, thing. Absolutely. And I think that yeah. stick players are kind of drawn to that, you know, yeah. but I, I, I do confess that, I do tend to overdo it. You know I mean? Like you can't see my desk right now, but it's like full of pedals, you know, and I've just got this stuff laying yeah. around and really I haven't picked, picked up my stick in like two There's weeks. There's one over now. here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, is a, it, is, it is nice to come back to your music because it is so pure in that sense. And while you may feel as, it, feel as though it were a struggle with the technology, really it's, it's a... It's something that's nice to come back to, I guess. I suppose that's what I'm getting at. Well, the truth of the matter is I couldn't afford to buy pedals, so I just had to play it that way. <laughs> I don't know. Hand pans aren't cheap, so you know, I don't know. That came later. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so speaking of other instruments, I'm, I'm curious. I yeah. think the first time I really saw you live with like, you know, at Interlocking, you're playing stick and you're also got the didgeridoo going. And then one of your feet is getting the shrewdy box going. Yeah. And like, I think everybody in that room was just like, how, how, you know, we're, we're all struggling just to play. Do you think we play. should help him out? Do you think he needs some help? <laughs> well, that's Maybe none we of us, none him. of us yeah. thought, does he need help? Right? Like none of us thought well, that. that. So, and I'm curious, like most of us, <laughs> <laughs> most of us just struggle. We're like, uh -huh. I can't even get the stick going. Right. And so I'm curious, like. How is that just a lot of practice? Is that like, does that become one thing in your mind? How, how do you do that? Well, how do you play the left hand in solo with the right? That would be the beginning of it. In other words, it's a motor. So you're just, let's start with a stick. You're playing something in the left, like a groove. And now you're thinking of your right hand. And so what ends up happening is the left goes on autopilot. Now the shrewdy is really simple. It's one note. So I just have to make sure I get my foot going at a certain pace. And then the didgeridoo, most all the work is trying to get the circular breathing, you know. And then once you get that, you know, and you focus on that, 
it's good. Probably the hardest thing is you can't, you know, you can't look at your hands when you're playing the didgeridoo. You're, you're stuck in a certain position, you know, with the breathing. So it's really, it's motor time, you know, just playing it a lot. And, and because of the way I do my gigs, although it hasn't been that way last year, they're long hours. So I've, I've learned a lot of this because I'll sit out there playing and after about three hours, I get kind of bored of playing the same song for the fourth time. So I'll try to change, change it up. And then that's when I started adding instruments as well. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. 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 That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so a lot of time put into I would to say that's doing part it. Of, yeah. A lot yeah. of time practice. To, to, yeah. You know, so many things are that way. I mean, it's, I, I think that, you know, people say, well, you're, were you born to be a musician or whatever? And I'm like, you know, I think people just are born to be what they love and put their time into, you know, not so much that you have a natural that you can do this or that. I just think it's a matter of, um, like they say, if you do your passion, you do what you love to do, the money will come kind of a thing. You've probably heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think, do you feel like, Uh, when you get bored, you know, because there's this stage when you know how to play something or you've played it enough times that you know how to do it in your sleep. And that's when you try to have fun with it, you know, change it a little bit, de deconstruct the, the, the song or whatever. And right. that when creativity kicks in and you reach places you weren't supposed to or you find out new things about the, the song or the instrument or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, you know, you, you play songs so much that, you know, you hear famous bands going, oh, you know, we have this hit and everybody keeps asking us to play the same hit every night, you know, sort of a thing. And then they're always trying to change it. And then sometimes people react like, oh, don't change it too much. But as a musician, you know, as you know very well, you know, you, you get to a point you, you want to either move on to another genre, another style or take what you do. Like Green Sleeves for me was an example of a song I learned early on. And eventually I played it so much, I go, I'm going to play it in the left hand and then do something different in the right hand. That's where that, whole, that's where that whole technique came from was because of that song, because it's a basic tune that I wanted to really try and do something with it. And it admittedly was easy enough to play that I could, that I could actually approach it that way. So there's an example of a song that I played for years. And then I went, wait a minute, I'm going to totally redo it. Uh, do you ever reach a stage? Because I mean, this has happened to me in a, in a band context where you you get to this stage where everyone gets bored with the song. You have to play it, so you start messing with the song. Eventually, you, you it it goes too far out, and then you bring mm -hmm. it back. And then when you bring it back, that's the perfect spot. Does that happen also? Yeah, I mean, especially the first part. I definitely could say I've t I've had songs I've taken too far out. And what ends up happening when you take it too far out is you're, you start losing the emotion or the feeling because you're having to try so hard to play it because it could get difficult or it's so different. And then, but what you, what you just said, at least it gets you out into an area, you find the boundary, and then you start to, to bring it back in. And I could even tell you, uh, that happens with technique. I had a technique where I'd use my thumb on my uh, left hand. So I was going to play with all, all my fingers. Um, I played it, I did it that way for two or three years and even was teaching that way. And I got to a point, this isn't working. It's my left hand thumb. I still use it a very occasionally, rarely, is not something that's comfortable to do. So I had to take all that work and practice and time and just kind of drop it. But I think that's where you really come up with ideas. You have to be willing to take the risk that you might put a hundred hours into something, 200 through whatever it is, how many hours, hundreds of hours, 
and go, you know what? I'm going to bail. <laughs> and I've had enough times I've done that. When do you feel, when do you know where in your heart that, okay, it's time to leave this thing behind and it doesn't work? Or uh, what, what exactly does, how, how do you feel it? Probably when you just find yourself not doing it as much. It's kind of that simple. I go out and play gigs and I found myself going, oh, I don't want to do that. It's too uncomfortable or I don't want to play that. It's just, you just sort of naturally stop doing it. Mm. Bob, why, why the Zoom Saturday sessions? What, why did you start doing them? And what's the, the whole purpose of doing those uh, weekly sessions? Well, the Zoom sessions actually came about uh, thanks to COVID, in a sense. And that was is that once this whole thing had started and, and I wasn't gigging, uh, I felt there needed to be a couple things. One which I have discontinued temporarily was the Thursday concerts, which I may try to pick up again. The Zoom sessions, I just felt like I wanted to give back, you know, to people and to the stick community and, and uh, just do something uh, without asking for anything, of course, and uh, just uh, get some, uh, I guess, more for people to do during, uh, during this time because we all are in our houses and, you know, sheltered in or whatever they call it kind of a thing. So that was sort of the, the beginning of it. And then as it went on, I've, I've been having a great time with it, lots of fun and talk about a lot of things. It started as me kind of giving some tips and lessons, but even in the beginning, I knew I wanted it to go more than that. <clears throat> so then I started having guests, Steve Adelson, Emmett, you, yourself, which was really a wonderful session. And uh, just something that stick players and even other musicians, if they want to come in, even tapping guitar players if, if they show up, but it seems like it's mainly stick, uh, just to get, you know, more connection in, with community. And to me, I feel very, very fortunate to have such a wonderful community to be part of, because to me, the stick players in, around the world is such a community, and I'm going to sidetrack for a minute, but it's so wonderful to be able to travel somewhere and meet people like, example, in Europe, and they come up to me like when I rent, met Ron and Andre and stuff, and I almost feel like they're family or friends, you know, right off the bat. And yet I'm in another country, not going to a hotel, not looking at brochures so I could look at the Eiffel Tower or whatever. And to me, this is what it's about. It's about community. And so that's sort of what the Zoom thing is based on. It's just, it's just for the community of Stick. Well, you mentioned COVID. So That's, that's, this is something that I'm quite curious. How do you, as a professional musician, uh, that suddenly, you know, everything stops and you get, you, you don't have an opportunity to play or to have income or whatever. Right. And basically mm -hmm. you're stuck at home. So everything in your uh, daily, weekly rituals of, you know, getting out, performing, getting money, whatever, the whole ritual thing changes. And now you're stuck at home where you can practice or record or whatever. But how does that affect you uh, on a creative level? So how do you push forward or how do you uh, 
feel you're like you're dragging or whatever how, how does that affect you the, the whole um different setup that you have to do for one week then it turns into a month we've been right. at it for a year and something so you know you bring up a really interesting point and the word that you threw in there was creative because it sort of brings to mind let's say you go all right this pandemic's happening and the situation in the world and my personal situation so then you start going on and the months go by and you you work on ideas or whatever you do and all of a sudden you go huh, this is really showing me, what am I being creative for? Am I practicing because I can go out and play that at the next gig? Or am I practicing just because I want to play? And I've always felt throughout my life that, yeah, there's an element of trying to practice something so I could play it, learn it, know it, and then show it. But at the same time, most all practice is just because I'll see the stick or whatever, even a different instrument, and I'll just go, I, I just want to play. I just want to play, even though I'm sitting by myself. And so that's part of the answer is I just enjoy practicing or playing. I don't even call it practicing. You know, I, I just call it playing and having a good time. <clears throat> so that's one thing. And then the other answer, the other half of your question is we had moved right when all this happened to a, a property that has uh, like a few acres on it. And so I've actually been working around here, planting a garden and working on that and building. I actually built a, a little studio that I'm sitting in right now. And so I kind of got off on a few other tangents. I have a family, two kids. So it's it's been really more and more family uh, stuff. Although that's always, of course, been extremely important, number one. So that's, that's kind of the answer is musically, I've just enjoyed doing it anyway, even though, yeah, I want to go out and play for people. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've, we just happened to move into this place and, and uh, um, I've been working a lot on the house and, and construction and stuff. There, there was a bit of a, a hiatus after like 2003 in making albums. Yes. And that was just, that was for family time, it sounds like. It sounds like kids were coming into the world at that time. and Yeah, that's, that's, kind of, that's pretty much it. Yeah, there was a little bit of a... And then you came back with a vengeance with like an album, like every year, like a different theme. We're in Ireland and now it's, you know, to the UK and now we're in India. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There, there's been some different... Yeah, and again, it just goes with the flow of what comes out or what I feel like doing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, so everyone, so the listener is aware Bob is sitting in uh, a, a beautiful studio with glass windows and what looks like pine or a, a, a really bright wood. And in the back, it looks like there's redwoods or cedars or oaks. I don't know what it is, but it's this beautiful pastoral Northern California background. You're in, the, you're in like wine country. We're, we're in wine country, but we're up toward the coast. We're about uh, 20 minutes from the beach in a town, if anybody's ever heard of it, called Occidental. Mm -hmm. And it's a little town up kind of a, up in the hills there. Yeah. Did you find it Occidentally? I found it Occidentally. Oh. oh. <laughs> Did you just Oof. do that? Tip of hat, Steve Edelson. <laughs> and I had to get all my oxen out there to do the tilling of the ground. <laughs> But anyway, I like to play my oxen. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, it's a new instrument. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, you, so you basically, did you just say you built this studio uh, during the pandemic? Yeah. During the pandemic. Also a carpenter. 
Yeah. Also an author, right? <laughs> also really good at the uh, stick. <laughs> so just one final question, because this is really something I'm quite sure. curious about. Yes. Um, so are you using the pandemic? Because in the era, while we were not recording, Claire just was just joking. And she said she, said she really enjoyed uh, the, the confinement. Uh, and then she said she didn't, but I, I'm, that I'm was actually, a joke. Yeah. I can't stand actually, it. I love, I love yeah. to be confined because I feel like this is the perfect opportunity. Emma just said on your zoom session, the world finally stopped and he gave yes. me time to catch up. So I feel the same way. So the world yes. stops. It gives me time to catch yes. up with all the things I want to do. Do you feel like this too? Well, I feel two, two ways about that. In my situation, I actually feel fortunate and I have gratitude for the way the timing and everything landed for me. Um, and I have been able to, a chance to catch up and do some even construction and build this and do that and do this and, and, and musically slow down. And I think a huge silver lining in this whole COVID thing is that it has created this pause for basically people kind, you know, people all around the world. You know, we have this pause, this time to kind of slow down and, and take a look at what's going on, you know, politics aside, you know, and that's, and I'm only going to call politics an unfortunate thing that has been happening. So we won't get into that, but it at least has created this moment where we, we have a chance to, you know, slow down and look at our lives and look at ourselves and I'll, you know, say the album name, but just being just who we are. But then the other side of it sometimes is I feel strongly that there are so many people out there that this is affected in such a negative manner. You know, I feel really, you know, my heart goes out to all these people that have either lost their work, their job, their livelihood. So it's a, so sometimes when I feel really good about something, and this is just my own personality, I start going, yay, or I'm doing this, or I get to do what I want, or there's more money, you know, whatever it is. All of a sudden, the, the other side steps right in and go, but what about everybody else? Mm, and yeah. so that has affected me as well. And it's even part of the impetus behind the album. It's, it's kind of like we're all in this together. So, yeah, I feel very strongly that the things that I've been able to do and stuff have worked out well. But at the same time, I'm really hoping that this pause for all of us is something that will help people uh, grow a greater community among each other. It has brought people together in, in a way that is, yeah, and it's separated people as well. So uh -huh. it, it, it has, you know, it's forced people to make these certain types of decisions. And um, it, in, in terms of, you know, being musicians, it's, it is this kind of double, as a double edged sword, you know, where it cuts both ways in that, well, You kept saying you wanted all this creative time, and now you've got now, it. Now, yeah, careful you for what you wish for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but and, you know, we, we did have a, a just a, a fantastic session to with Rodrigo and how he really kind of um, upped the ante for all stick players in the in the format in which he presented things. So right. it was this multimedia, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. With great so stuff, the, by the way. I've I've listened to to a lot of it. A wonderful. Yeah. Fabulous. That's all on video and everything is on tab, you know? So I yeah. mean, it was really, it was kind of like this landmark. And so I was, I'm glad we did a session on it. And, 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 uh, you know, if you, if you wonder, well, you know, what are stick players doing with their time? Well, Rodrigo obviously hasn't been sitting still and you know, who else puts his things out there is, is Don Schiff. So I don't know right. if you guys are, uh -huh. are, are watching the, you know, rise from the ashes, his 
you know, little video documentary and all. Have you guys seen those? Oh yeah. 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 That's a highlight. Whenever he posts a new update, that's, you know, that's a, that's a drop everything and check it out type of a highlight. Yeah. 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 Actually I'm going to have, he's going to be a guest on zoom pretty soon. So. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> Bob, was the guitar your first instrument? Yeah, guitar was the first one. What kind of guitar did you have? The guitar that I had, my first, well, almost my first, I had a little nylon thingy, but after a couple of months, the first guitar I had when I was 12 is the guitar I played on the album. <laughs> I've had <laughs> the guitar so for cool. 50 some years. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, I still have the the G fifty one twelve that my mom got me for my fourteenth birthday, right there. Wow. Okay. So, Bob, I got to ask you. Okay, if this this guitar you got it when you were twelve, and it was apparently your your second guitar. Yeah, so technically. Like yeah, for it's a Guild D forty. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't know much about guitars. You call uh -huh. it a Guild D forty. That means nothing to me. But let me just but, ask: Is it? Is this like a really good guitar and that's why you use it? Or do you use it because it's a cheap guitar and you've held on it for nostalgia and you wanted to use it? It's a, I'll say it's a really, a pretty good guitar. It's really good. It's not like great, but it's a really good guitar. It's older. I think there's a little bit of sound. It, I think it sounds wonderful. And I just put a mic in front of it. It doesn't have a pickup on it or anything. I just stuck a mic in front of it and, and played it. So I felt like when I re test recorded it, it had a very organic kind of natural feel. It's almost like you could just hear sounding like somebody just sitting in the corner playing their guitar rather than being overly professional sounding. So, so I, I really like the sound of it. And that's part of the reason I put that on there too, was because I wanted to have uh, some of my roots stuff that I had been doing that, you know, I liked Doc Watson and uh, all the old, some of the old finger style. That's what I learned first was bluegrass was the first type of music I played. And uh, so I kind of went back to those roots. This this guitar that you had, did you did you play in bands, or were you writing music, or were you like playing other kinds of music with this guitar when you first got it? Like what was like what made you you saw something, somebody somewhere had a guitar, and you're like, I want to do that too. Well, actually, my parents said, "You want to try playing an instrument?" Okay. <laughs> and they go, "You could play it's like piano or piano, like violin, gu right? guitar, like, whatever." You know, and I go, oh, "I'll try guitar," but then the minute I started playing, I go, "Oh, this is cool." Mm -hmm. So yeah, so and that guitar is is it, when I started playing in bands, it was more electric, you know. Mm -hmm. But I've I've always had that guitar around. It's an of course an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And so you played bluegrass. Did you play? Like, what other styles did you play? I mean, like when you were playing electric, were you? Well, I went from bluegrass uh, and then, of course, typical, you know, get a band rock music. And then the music I liked at the time was pro pro progressive rock, but mm -hmm. art progressive rock. Not not the darkest stuff, but more of the like Yes and Genesis and... And, yeah. then, uh, and, then, and then combined with groups like Allman Brothers and... Uh, uh, even Leonard Skinner. I liked some of the country rock because I liked the jamming and the third, the harmonies that they play. Okay, so I was I was kind of curious. We always, you know, that that question comes up a lot with stickers. You know, are you bassists coming to the stickers? Do you guitars coming to the stickers? Right. You know, it's usually right. that makes up about I'd say sixty. Is it sixty seventy percent maybe? Like guitar, guitar and yeah. 
It's would have been a lot better, Bob, if you said, well, I first learned the didgeridoo, and that inspired me to learn <laughs> stick. <laughs> inspired me to learn. <laughs> Actually, that, that, that brings the, 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 the perfect question is, what attracted you to the stick? Ah, that's a good question. I, I was teaching guitar at a, at a guitar store, and somebody had mentioned that this guy was playing this really unusual instrument upstairs. And I actually happened to be on my way to the beach. I was taken off and I go, you know what? I don't have time. I had all my friends. They were kind of waiting outside. And, uh, and, I, and I go, I, I just got to go, but I'd really like to see it. And I go, you know what? I'm just going to run up with my buddy and we're just going to take a quick look. Well, we ran upstairs to look for five minutes and we didn't leave until Emmett left the building. <laughs> and uh, uh, basically I was like, oh my God, what the heck? And I felt like as soon as I saw him, it was almost like there was something in my mind like, this is kind of what I was sort of heading toward. I don't know. I felt, I almost felt like there was already a path going that way. And then I saw Emmett do it, like to realize it, like somebody that's actually invented the instrument and is playing the technique and doing all this. And then, so I saved up, it took me six months to save up to, to buy an instrument and my guitar teacher uh, bought one right away. And then me and him formed a band called the stick band, which, which was two stick players and a drummer. That would be Jim Bruno? That would be Jim Bruno, yes. Oh, wow. Rodrigo, look at you. There's yeah. like, he's like one of those guys that can play just about anything, right? Like he's, yeah. he's playing every kind of instrument that you can think of <laughs> on his videos. He's like, now he's playing some electric stuff that sounds like a saxophone or yeah. a guitar and yeah. whatever. It's, it's, it's wild. We it's always cool. like to do different, always try to pick up different instruments. And I built a few instruments that were just strings in weird places and stuff. Oh. But we always like to try to do something, you know, it was fun. It's just fun to do that. So just go, going back a little, uh, uh -huh. one small step. So when you see, you, you start watching Amit play and you feel like a, a This is kind of the, the, the path I was going into. It's, this is, is this like um, you recognize that that's the tool you need for the kind of music that you have in the back of your mind waiting yeah. to get out? Yeah, it was the tool that I needed to just ex experiment. I wasn't even sure where the music would go. So it's not like I had a certain kind of music in my head that was going to happen, but I knew right off the bat that it was the, the tool that I wanted to play and practice and, quote, see what happens. Hear what happens, I guess, is a better way to say it. Okay. Had you seen, like, other... So that you'd never seen anyone else play that instrument before, though. That was your first no. introduction to it. And was no. that in Northern California, or was that in Southern California? Or? Northern California. San Jose. San Jose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and San Jose, yeah, San Jose, like bands would come through San Jose, you know, like when, when like new music would come through San Francisco, Los Angeles, yeah. San Jose, and Santa Cruz, the colleges there, there was always cool music out in that area. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, people know the way to San Jose, I hear, so. <laughs> I heard that too. <laughs> But do you know the way to San Jose? I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, some lady told me, so... All right. <laughs> I'll tell you what we never saw coming about talking about San Jose. That's where I grew up for the first 50 years was we never saw Silicon Valley happening. That was like out of the blue. Talk about changing where you grew up. <laughs> we were a farming community. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah and San Jose just expanded like crazy, right? Yeah. 66,000 people when I was like 
I don't know, 12 years, tw- years old, and now it's over a million. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. Bob, I, I believe you're someone who you make your entire living off music, I think. Um, how, what was the tra- trajectory towards that? Or when, when did you decide or when did you realize? I'm not sure, was this a specific goal for you? And, and how did you realize it, I guess, is sort of how has your life kind of mm-hmm. led towards that or, you know, your, your path to, to being a musician? You know, that's, a, that's a, an, another really good question because uh, what had happened, of course, when we were in the band, just like a lot of people were going, oh, we're going to play this music and we're going to get a record contract and off to the races kind of a thing. So we were trying to do that. And then I taught guitar at the time for a long time. And then eventually the band went through all its things and there's tons of things I could talk about there, but I don't, you know, whatever. So at the end of the band, uh, then I started to do a few things solo and, um, still a guitar teacher. And, uh, then I went out and started to play a little bit. I played at this festival, uh, called Tapestry and Talent in downtown San Jose. And they put me on the stage. They called it the classical stage, although I wasn't really playing classical music a little bit, but fake classical and uh, so I went up on the stage. That's and a I, Larry Tuttle term. I'll have you know, fake classical is a yeah, Larry you Tuttle just term. Emulate classical. Sells at it. Yeah, <laughs> not fake news. No. So, <laughs> so anyway, but I had a moment in timeout. Was the one CD, and I so I put the CD out for sale, and I had I think I had like I don't know forty of them, and so I just put a funny stack of them in front of me and played for an hour and a half, and was done. And the CDs were all gone by the time I finished. And I'm like, oh, wow, huh, this is interesting. <laughs> I just made like $400 and I played for an hour. So then I started thinking, well, maybe I ought to try another festival. So I tried a couple of them and I hooked up with a manager that booked the large, some of the largest art festivals around the country as a quote unquote corner musician, not on the big stage, but where you could play all day and sell your product. So a as corner far, musician, they call the street corner. They didn't want to call it street musician, corner, whatever, <laughs> small stage. I don't know. Everybody has a name for something. So anyway, I did started doing that. And the first one she did was she sent me to New York to play at the Lilac Festival, which I did. And, and I brought CDs and, uh, I did quite well financially. And I just went, you know what, this is, this is working. And so I started doing one after the other and so my living, or my, we want to call it pursuit, or how I thought, it just happened that way. Mm-hmm. Still all the time trying to redirect all this into like more bigger concerts and stuff. But sure. I kept doing it. It kept working. And I kept being able to play music. And eventually down the road, I went, you know, I'm lucky I get to play music as a living in front of people and, and kind of no pressure, just play the, what I want to play. And it worked. So I always say it's sort of the second best thing that could have happened where the very first is if you had a record label take care of you and you just, they just threw you on stage and all that. And that would be cool, but this was cool too. <laughs> so do you consider yourself a busker? It's busking basically. Yeah. I would so say then it's organized busking. Corner busking though, really. Yeah, yeah because you're, because yeah. <laughs> they're, they're setting up the spot. They're giving you the, the, the tables. They're, they're give, so you're part of the fest. You have to schedule it. You don't just walk right. up and play. On, yeah. So, it's so as a follow-up to that, I found that when I have talked to buskers, they usually have some pretty interesting stories to tell about maybe people <laughs> they've encountered that were listening or watching or whatever. Um, do you, 
have anything you'd like to that that you could share that might be interesting? What was hear? your craziest day busking, Bob Culbertson? <laughs> <laughs> What was your craziest day? Come on, give us that, a good That's one. hard to say, crazy. <laughs> well, I, you know, you know, all know I play out at Pier 39, you know, mm. like more on a regular basis. They hired yeah. me to play you the You see entrance. a thing or two out there. Yeah, yeah. So you see some pretty crazy stuff out there. But no, I would say to put more of a positive spin on it rather than something goofy was when I played in Switzerland. I played in Neuchâtel. Uh, Olivier had, had, I stayed with him and... There was something about the experience. A few times I bust in Europe where they have these busker festivals and everybody in the town comes out. And those were so fun. And I felt so, it's it's almost like mainstream and popular and people are just loving it. And you just get hundreds and hundreds of people in big circles around you. And and it's different than, than busking here in, in the United States. You know, here yeah. here everybody just seems to have a little bit more different things on their mind. And it's like that famous video Sorry, I can't remember the name of the violinist, but the famous, yeah, vi- yeah you the, in the yeah, subway, in the New York subway, yeah, great, great video because it just for us musicians, it just really s- says it all right there. Actually, if, if I if I can say something, yes, you mentioned that uh, it was the second best thing, right? And uh, I think it actually depends on the on the perspective because right. one of the things that attracted me to the stick, well, first it was something you did i saw one of your videos i was I, w- i was playing in big stages and big concert halls i was touring in austria for two months and one uh, one day i was you know on facebook going through facebook and then there's this guy playing uh, uh, a crazy instrument and does a, a bending thing in the instrument and i exactly i knew this is what i want to do Uh, so oh, I want to play sitar. No, I want to play what he's. I want to do what he's doing, not because of all the things that it can do, but because of the expression. So that's yeah, w- sure. what hooked yeah. me. It was the expression of the stick. Yes. But the next, and then I started, you know, searching, 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 and what it really ap- appealed to me was, I want to get out of big stages. I want to get out of uh-huh. being played yeah. things that I've been forced to play that I don't want to. Right. The, the, per- the heaven would be, you know, just. Pick, go, go with your instrument and start playing whatever you want to for how, how long you want to and having people come by. If they like it, they listen. If they don't like it, they just go. And it, it's yeah. like, and you make some money off of it. So for me, this was having, that's what kind of drew me into the, the whole Chapman stick and uh, giving up the bass, picking up this instrument was all of this that you were already doing, which is uh, play the music you want to play for how long you want to play it right. and, you know, make a living off of it. So it's like, for me, it's like the best thing ever. Right. It's even right. better. Well, I, and I, in a sense, I might stand a little bit corrected because when I say that, I don't, I mean, I'm, and I said a little bit, I'm so fortunate that I'm able to play what I want to play and I'm able to play, make a living at music and do what I want to do. And the only reason I would refer to the second thing is, is there's a caveat with that. And that would be the first would only be that I still would be able to do exactly what I want to do. So I have played a few concerts in those situations that when, like we did the Detroit, you know, there was a lot of people there, the Institute of the Arts. And we, me and Greg were able to get up there and just do what we wanted to do as stick players. There was no, you know, so what you're talking about, I I totally get, and I totally agree with. And um, you could be in a band or you could be in a situation where they're telling you what to do. Same thing with a record label. You know, you could get signed as a soloist with a record label and they'll still might tell you what to do. So 
with all this said, the one thing I will say is, um, you know, I don't know how much people or how much you believe in like destiny or whatever you want to call it. But sometimes I think, you know, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, rather than thinking about, well, I could have, it could have, should have, would have, because a lot of times that's not, you know, if you just follow your heart and follow what you love, you just kind of end up doing what you're supposed to be. And maybe it's true that if a label or somebody came along and said, we're going to do this with you, um, that maybe it, it might have crashed and burned. It might have been something that would have affected me in a very, it could have been very negative. It, it did for me because I had a record label at a very young age and, and it wasn't at all what I thought it would be. Right. You know, it covered my expenses for one year, but then, you know, it was actually very hard work. You're traveling basically six weeks out of every two months and you have to kind of pick up all the pieces in between to figure out like, well, am I going to rent up? an apartment, you know, cause I'm always gone, you know, and you have to figure out where to store yeah. things, things break on the road and you're responsible for that. Um, and also you're 23, yeah. you know, so that it's not, it's, you're not really doing what you want. And so, and I, and I really can relate to what Rodrigo's saying in this yes. as a bassist, you know, you really like your strength is to be basic, you know, like to, 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 to build this foundation and you can still have like a personality and Absolutely. you can still express yourself, but really like your, your rhythms, you're part of the rhythm section and you can play it without a drums, but it's so much more gratifying with drums, at least from the, yeah. the style that I played in anyways, the, with, with <laughs> I remember with the Chapman stick, I never had to worry about whether the guitarist or the bassist or the drummer was there. Cause I was usually playing bass. And so it was so nice to um, I guess autonomy, you know, just like, just like, like I'm a single force, you know, like, and, and, yeah. and I'm not, nothing is contingent. I'm not dependent on anything. And so long as I'm inspired and I'm in tune, you know, and I have an amp, like it's on. And, right. and that's what I love about the Chapman stick. Yeah. yeah. I think with Bob, I think part of like tapping into that art festival circuit is like, it's kind of brilliant, right? Cause you say busking, but busking, okay, let's say you're in a subway or on a street, like you're basically there. And like, like you said, that example, people walk by cause they're not, they're not there to listen to music. They're there to, you know, they're usually going somewhere else and they walk by the musician. Whereas the art, the art festival, you know, they, they, that's curated. Like even they might have a bunch of different musicians, but they'll be spread out across the festival and people there are there for leisure, typically, unless you're one of the vendors. Right. And they're expecting to see music, live music, even if it's on a corner, right? Right. E even if they're not expecting to see music, they're there to relax and take in art and culture, typically. So, yeah, when you come to see, you're like, oh, cool, like, here's a thing. And they, they have time to stop and they're, they're in a state of mind to appreciate it versus, oh, I got to walk by this person making noise. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's a right. very it different... It's a very different state of mind for the listener um, busking like on the street versus at an art festival. So I think I think that's like a large part of it is I think the people there are more primed to appreciate it. Yeah, and it's a lot more comfortable environment for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's very true. I guess the only difference to me is sometimes when you do concerts, you have more room to just relax and then play the program. And you're not thinking about selling anything. You're not thinking about anything else at all. And so when I say that, it's, it's like when you play an art festival, it's great. I feel so fortunate to do it. 
but sometimes there's a, just that little edge of, you know, I, okay, I play this song and I I know it's going to sell. So maybe I ought to play it pretty, you know. So there's a slightly different dynamic when you're oh, yeah. busking yeah, yeah. or playing an art festival than when you're playing a concert. And I guess that's the only thing when I refer to second is just the fact that if, you know, to be able to be, it's like Stanley Jordan. I, there was a story about him where he was playing some concert. And to me, this is overkill, but he got up there. And he was warming up and he was, you know, getting ready to do his show. And he was bothered because he could hear one speaker way off in the corner. There was a little funny sound like coming out of it, you know, and it's like, oh, that's not happening. And trying to get the people to fix it and all this. And, it, you know, and from the perspective of the person that heard is like, it, I could even, couldn't even hardly hear it. Now I'm sure he's got these big ears to hear everything. But then I go, what would it be like for him if he's sitting out in the, in an environment and, you know, halfway through his song, he's hearing, oh, hot dogs and here's your uh, pizza and <laughs> funnel cake. And <laughs> so, <Funnel cake. laughs> so, so that's, that's the, that's the and only sun, thing. Sunburn, you right, know, dehydration. Right, yeah. Like cars. I've and had times I've been backed complete. up where there's cars behind me and all kinds of fun yeah. things. So that's all right. Potties right next to you. (laughs) Or or a radio station across the street. That's a blaring speaker. I could tell you stories. Here come the stories. This was good. We we, we started to draw them out a little there. (laughs) Greg had one. You know, what I loved about Greg is that people would be asking him about the Chapman stick when he'd be playing music. And and kind of the lesson that he was trying to share was he said, know how to play a part how to play a song from any part of the song. Yes. Like, don't go back to this one section. And this is like, you know, teacher Greg talking to me, but he said it kind of came about in a form where he was playing in a restaurant and people, he, you know, he's in the middle of a song. Yeah. And as a musician, you're like, hold, hold on. This guy's like tearing it up. Hold on. This is like, he's, he's playing the solo part or he's yeah, playing yeah. the very yeah. ending, you know, and, yeah. and somebody comes up and it's like, eh. That is fascinating. I've never seen a sitar so close up, you know, yeah. and, and, and you, you have to be able to, and that's part of that, just being a musician and being, uh, you, you have that experience and, you know, you, 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 you have a lot of you know, gratitude because you know that you love what you do. It's fun to do. And it's, you, you hear that in the music. But I think that's and, more of a stick thing. Like, honestly, like you don't see people walk up and ask, what is that thing? That's so cool when they're playing a true. keyboard, right? It's really just the stick. It's like. I've Claire, never let, seen. Let, let me cut in because, <laughs> as a bass player, as a bass player, I've had, I've, I've been on stage, and somebody taps me in the shoulder. Can I play? <laughs> oh, <laughs> can I, I play with your oh. instrument while you're playing? So, oh, I mean, okay. It happens everywhere with I, any instrument. I've, I've I know that one. Not open. You can go get beer over there, pal. <laughs> you know, like, come on. Do you know what? That happens to me very rarely with the stick. But almost every gig out, almost everyone, somebody wants to bang on a handpan. Constant. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. constant. Well, it and people have easy. done it. They've come up and start banging. They want to on jam it. with you? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they want. No, they don't want to jam with me. They just want to play the handpan. <laughs> no, they just want to bang <laughs> on it because people have seen them and they're like, "Oh, those flying saucer things." I just I heard about that. They are pretty fun. I mean, oh, they oh they're very fun. They're they're really fun. <laughs> playing currently 
terms of an instrument. In terms of a stick? Yeah. Okay, I play the, well, it's still mainly the, the standard, uh, well, I was going to show you, but it doesn't matter on... on well, you can show us here on Tap and Time, because well, what we'll do is, a, is we'll talk all about it and say, it looks yeah, like this, it looks like that. What do we got? This is the uh, shortened stick, slightly shortened. And this is the one we are most interested about, because this is one of these... Can we get a look at it? We want oh, to... Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a 12 that string, right? The camera here. Okay, so is it maple? Is it... Out. Okay, this is rosewood. It's rosewood, okay. Rosewood. Trying to get it lined up. Everything goes in the opposite direction. Gotcha. <laughs> so you've got an active two on that. It's, it's all the amenities of a 21st century Chapman stick. All right. um, but it's just slightly shorter. Right. It's two frets shorter. Two um, frets shorter. I don't know the exact measure. What, what, what is it? Uh, 36, I think, is a typical stick these days. So I'd be about 32 um, I came up with the idea because on the, the bigger stick, um, I have a capo on it, and you know we've gone over that conversation, but I leave it on there. So there's essentially one fret that I'm not even using for anything on the bass side. And of course, as we all know, on the melody side, you don't play on the first and second fret hardly ever. You can, and you know, depending on what you're doing. If you really want to, right? If you really want to. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it's with the left thumb thing, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I can do that. like. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, frets on the melody side, huh? they're there to slightly buzz so you can get the lowest action on the rest of the board. <laughs> that's right. That's that's their job. That is their job. <laughs> and and partly came about traveling. So I thought I want a stick that's two frets shorter. Cuz then I thought it would be closer to the original 12 string scale length cuz he's added the zero x whatever he calls it fret. X fret, yeah. X fret. And so that eliminates the X fret and the uh, and then the fret that's not being played. And then I had him not put a damper on the lowest uh, on the five bass strings, six sorry six bass strings. I can count. And so, <laughs> uh, so then it became really close. And then I told M and I go, I want to tune it the same as the twelve string twelve string match reciprocal grand. And so he sent it back to me tuned a whole step higher. And I'm like, what? Well. I tried playing it that way, and at first my reaction was, that's not what I wanted. So I put all this, changed all the strings back. And then I went, you know what? Emmett might be onto something. So then I took all the strings and put it back the way Emmett sent it to me. And I started to like it better that mm -hmm. way. Now everything lines up different because an A minor, I just picked that chord out because it's at the dot left hand on that string, blah, 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 is now a B and so forth and so on. So things get moved around a little bit. But I really like the sound of it just as much as my 12. It's a little different. It has, it's slightly higher, so I'm not going for the big growl, bass, Tony Levin kind of that tone. Mm -hmm. So it, you don't get that, but you get almost everything else. The action feels great. I don't know why. It just feels so just right on because it's maybe because it's slightly shorter. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is because I have an SG12 and I was playing that going, I wish I had just a little bit bigger. So it was kind of like, what's in between? Um, and so that's I where I came up with that. It's funny what you said about 30 seconds ago. You know, I thought Emmett might be onto something. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not that he's, <laughs> right, exactly. What does he know? Yeah. Hey, what, is that guy? what does he know? <laughs> what exactly? does Emmett know about the stick? Really? Emmett, who? So, <laughs> yeah. And I think, or I don't know if, if you said it today or b before uh, in one of the Zoom sessions, but you said it would be easier to, for transportation, right? So it's a yes. little bit more. So 
How many instruments do you carry with you when you go and perform, like the handpan and uh, the didgeridoo and the stick? I mean, it's like you have a small truck of instruments yeah, <laughs> that you go. Or do you try to, you know, cut things and bring the least possible amount of objects with you? Yeah, I, I, it depends on where I'm going. I had a storage unit in Arizona because I was doing a lot of stuff. So I would store an extra stick and an extra this and an extra that out there and uh, didgeridoo and a few things. Uh, but I, I actually stopped doing that because of, of COVID and, and I think things are going to change a little. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reconfigure a little bit of what I'm doing. Um, so the answer is it depends on where I'm going. Um, usually I just bring one stick. And if I really want to play handpan, one, I think in Vancouver, not Vancouver, Gabriola, I think, did I bring two handpans or one? Yeah, you brought two you, and you left with two. one. I think Karen. Um, <laughs> that was it. The, yeah, that's how we worked that one out. Yeah, so that was, two is the most um, on that on that instrument because they are kind of cumbersome. So usually a stick and, and one and then, Sometimes it's just the stick. There, I have a little didgeridoo that shrinks up to like this big that telescopes out. It sounds really good. It's they call it an air didge, so the didgeridoo can fit right in my suitcase. Thirty-four inch scale. Play the air guitar and Bob <laughs> Culbertson plays the air. Didge. The air didge. Yeah, I don't know why they call it that, but. <laughs> But so. I'm curious. You, you you said you don't you don't love tech, and that's cruel. But I'm I'm curious how what your your setup you, is. But you deeply offended Claire. I'm not deeply offended <laughs> no, at no, all. No, no, I think I, it's wonderful. I, I'm no. just curious because when you're playing stick, you need an amp first of all. And I'm curious. You know, you've got the hand pan. I assume you don't need a mic on the didgeridoo at, at like your your festival. But let's say your typical festival setup. What is your rig? Well, so people can actually, first to, to answer the first part, it's not that I don't love tech. A lot of times I, I, I really enjoy it. That's why I mentioned Guillermo as, as somebody that I think is fabulous. And he uses quite a bit of tech. Um, you know, uh, Tom Grazegraper uses a lot of tech. So I love it. But it's just, I don't know why. I just feel like sometimes I get in front of a computer and the computer looks back at me and goes, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and it just starts doing all these things that it just no, wants No, you to, may not. I'm going to get you. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, maybe that's just all in my head. But so, and then of course in music, as you know, you know, I, I use a minimal amount, you know, the effects and stuff, but speaker wise, you know, I did research, I got QSEs to me there for the size and the, the and the portability, you know, the K actually, believe it or not, K8s. And I have two K12s and I don't know why I like the K8s better than the 12s. Mm -hmm. But if I'm playing really loud, of course, with my drummer, uh, with Rick, I bring 12s because you need the extra push, you know, mm -hmm. behind the, behind the sound. I love the eights. I just think they just sound so good as long as you don't have to play too loud, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, then when it comes down to just amplification, I just use, I'm down to just using a mixer. Uh, and, uh, I can't remember the name of it, just silly, but just a little reverb on the mixer. And then I can plug in all my instruments, you know, hand pan mic and then stick a course and all that with, uh, Eight channels. I have eight channel mixer. So you just go your active pickup to a little mixer and then out to stereo speakers. Yeah. And turn cool. on the reverb a little bit. And then I, oh, I do use a pedal, the freeze, which I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, the, I'd like to talk about that for just a minute. So you use the freeze pedal. Um, I've been playing around with you know, the freeze pedal on my HX stomp a little bit. How long did it take you to learn how to use that? And what do you use it for? Because it's... It's not the same as a sustain pedal on a piano. Uh, Claire and I were talking about this a little while right. back, and she was telling me that 
um, you know, after I described what it was doing, she called it what like a sustenuto pedal. Is that what it was called, Claire? I'm trying to remember. I, I, uh, I'm trying to remember had, our we conversation had to look up the name because it's one of those funky Italian words. But um, anyway, uh, it's like the middle pedal on a piano, though, uh, instead of the, the the rightmost pedal. But anyway, how long have you been using it, and 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 how do you apply it? The freeze. Pedal. I, I don't know how long. Ten years, but yeah. I, and actually, I use it differently than they even advertise it. Because the way they they advertise, they show guitar players playing a lead guitar part, and they'll bend a note and hold it, and they'll hit the freeze, and that note just goes, and goes on forever. I don't even right. use it in the melody. What I use it for is it's kind of like a shruti box. So I'll play, it's only on my left-hand side, first of all. And then I'll play a low note. Usually the note, the A that's kind of sits in the middle of the five, of the six strings, you know, right in there, maybe down as low as the D. That range, right in that range, I'll hit a D or an A, and then I'll hit. I'll hold my foot on the freeze. There's different settings where you can punch it and it'll stay on. I like the one where I hold my foot on it, and as soon as my foot leaves the pedal, it shuts off. And then that way I could play a note, and then when I switch chords, I just play, uh, you know, I could just lift my foot off and then, and then freeze that note. So I use it as this drone kind of in the background. It's not to accentuate a lead part or a chord. It's just to give, I love the lower, lower mid ranges. And that's, that's the effect that I, I go oh, for. Oh, wow. Bob, you just made my day because that's exactly what I was trying to do with it. I haven't right, quite got it figured out. I've got, I was learning to play this, uh, this arrangement of Oh Holy Night and it's a piano arrangement and you know, the arpeggio that she was using on the piano really can't be played on the stick because too many of the notes are on the same have to be on the same string because of the fifths. And so I'd use the freeze to capture the low note, and then it would drone in the background. So, oh, wow, you just made my day. All right, I'm playing with the same, uh, you know, with the same intent as Bob Culbertson with the freeze pedal. Wow. <laughs> okay, someone quick, sign me to a contract. There you go. Get that no, contract. No, no, no. You got to go to the festivals. They got to go to the festivals. <laughs> like, it's easier. People? Uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've taken a, a good, or I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. With, mm-hmm. with a, we've covered the Saturday sessions. And we've covered, you know, a, a little bit of your work as a, as a teacher and instructor, as well as um, what we do and don't like to hear on the Chapman stick and frustrations with technology. And, you know, all three, Rodrigo, Vic and Clara, will all vouch that I, I, I str- we all have our struggles, right? Yeah, yeah. All we've talked about in being. Um, what comes next for you in terms of playing out live and what are your hopes going forward for what comes next for you? Uh, yeah, I think that for me, first of all, you know, as soon as this, the COVID, and I feel optimistic, I feel like it is starting to wane a little bit. It is starting to get better. And I, I've reconfigured things. Um, I don't feel, just to put it simply, I don't feel as pressured to make a living um, we've arranged things here that we get some rents from people on the lands and stuff like that. Uh, so going forward, uh, probably the most, one of the most important things, um, we have a, we have a group of people here that meet, they do a lot of these singer songwriter types of things. And there's a little bit of kirtan and a little bit of, you know, chants and music and, it's usually uh, music that refers to uh, consciousness kind of stuff, you know, very simple and that kind of a thing. So 
with before I get into a style of music or what instrument, I, I want to make a difference somehow as far as helping the, I, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but helping the world somehow. Doing something with music, whether it's putting together a fundraiser, like on the Being album, especially the vinyl, hopefully when that comes out, it's going to have some liner notes about us, you know, human consciousness being awakened, all this kind of thing, all the, making reference to that sort of stuff. And so that's a lot of my focus is on that. But I'm, as as a musician, of course, I'm still listening to different types of music and going, hey, it'd be neat to do that or or, or an influence of that kind of style or whatever. So I have to just sort of see musically where things go, but I want to play a few more concerts. I'd like to do more shows where I'm in a quiet environment, where it is a stage. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. It could be a nice little theater in front of 50 people. That's fine. But just some venues where I can, I'm going to focus a little more time on doing some things. Or like if I'm near any of you and you want to see me, Rather than coming to stand at a festival, you actually can come into a venue that's quieter and I can play my set. And I want to play with other people more. I wish I had played uh, over the years sometimes. I I look at that too. Like, let's use Tony Levin as an example of somebody that uh, he's so involved with all these musicians, so many other people he's played with. And sometimes I look at that, I have to admit, and I go, dang, I wish I did some of that more. I wish I pursued a little more of that, just getting involved in other people's projects. Sure. Or I've been so focused on as a soloist, because the one thing about being a soloist is you are a soloist. <laughs> mm. So, And even these guitar players and singer-songwriters, and I'm going to back them up and, and do that. And stick will always be the primary instrument, but I have found that hand pans and some of these other things especially in these acoustic jams kind of lend themselves to some of the style of music, you know, where the stick is, is a little bit different dynamic. And the last part is me and Rick do plan on playing uh, again. Well, we tried practicing over Jam Kazam, which is an internet thing where you can try to play in real time. That's right. And <clears> but even that. Your, if yeah. you configure your router, well, you, th- there's a lot of technical stuff in terms of configuring your router to get it happen in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you gotta have latency being. Yeah. So much to take about it. And I'd love to play, you know, Rodrigo, and hopefully one day we get to play together. Gene, all you know, Claire. I, I, my focus is a little more on playing with other people too. Even when we did the seminar and I did the hand pan and all, everybody's playing stick. I just enjoyed that because it was like this group. That was fun. Effort. Yeah, it was yeah, just was fun. fun. So much fun. I got to say, I got yeah. to play with Bob Culbertson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, like, I think that, that well, the last Vancouver one I went to, there was a lot of, like, smaller ensembles. And I, I really enjoyed that. Like, yes. Because as with Stick, that's not, I don't really play with other people on Stick. So it was just nice to, that was just a nice experience just to do all these little group things. So that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the stick, the stick complements the, the multi-instrumentalist in you and, you know, provides that level of creativity, but it is nice to have kind of other outlets and other avenues to channel that, channel your musicianship and your passion into. Yeah. That's all a part of being a musician, right? Because I do not know one single musician that doesn't have a multitude of things, of ways to express himself. Nobody just likes one genre and playing this, just this yeah. specific. Everybody likes different stuff, so. Yeah. yeah. 
So Bob, many of us have had a chance to take in your teaching at seminars or other similar formats, but you also teach private lessons. And so here's the question I have for you. What one or two things do you find that your students need to learn when they first come to you, whether it's someone who's new to the instrument or someone that's been around the instrument for a while? Well, the question to answer that is there's two parts. When you say need to learn, are you talking specifically about something they need to learn on the stick or is it something more about... How about a bad habit that needs to be purged? Bad habit, then that's a good question. Okay, let me let me just say that answer it kind of more in general terms, but what I feel about when I teach and, and working with other people. First of all, I always want the, the student to know that what I'm teaching is the way that I put it together that works best for me, but it's not ground in stone, of course, is the way you do it. That I am offering to you information and things that you can do that you can add to the way, quote unquote, you play, not this is how you play. So I don't teach ever with the idea. in school. Right, this is not, it's not, you're not supposed to play like the way I'm teaching you. You're supposed to take what I do and pick out what it, what's really gonna work. Like my getting a good sound one where you overlap notes. I use four fingers, of course, some people don't. I'm just gonna show you what works for me and then add it to what you're doing. So incorporate that. So the first part of the, to answer the question is to approach it that way. Is to approach it as like, this is not just the one way that you do it. And if you want to get more lesson specific, I think things that are important is know your chords. Just, you got to know your chords. You don't have to be a sight reader. Uh, I just had a conversation with some, I think it was even on Zoom. Okay, because uh, there's a big lack of sight reading in, in, in the stick world, but that's, that's okay. But maybe, you know, one day there'll be more of it. But knowing the names of the chords and, the, and, and then the other part of it is, is that I have a system of teaching where most everything I give you, I call it modular. I try to shrink everything down to the simplest possible way to look at it, and then that expands. And the example would be the three notes per string, then the two, and then the two. That covers all the scales. Or if you know just this one thing about a chord, that covers all your major and minor chords. You do this one thing, you can play the others. So a lot of people will come in and go, well, you're not just te you know, teach me how to play Dust in the Wind. <laughs> You know, teach me how to play this song or how do you do that chord? And sometimes people are a little disappointed because instead of just showing them that chord, I'll go, well, here's a method that you can get to that chord, but you can get to all of them. But I do adapt. If somebody came to me and go, I just want to learn how to play your version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and that's really what I'm here for, I'll go, okay, I'll just teach you how to play that. So I'm, I'm very flexible. But it's, it's hard to teach that, that type of study habit where it's like you have to do this over and over and over again. Like you have to play this chord over and over again for it to kind of stay with you. Right. right. Like it's not, I, I can't, I can show you what to do, but I can't reward you with the hours of practice that I had to get to like conceptually right. understand why that chord is laid out the way that it is. And, right. But you can certainly shorten people's uh, curve on knowing where everything is. Sure. You can't shorten their physical re uh, memory, finger memory curve. That's really hard to do. Right. But you can really shorten people's curve on going, I know how to play all my major minors, major sevenths, minor sevenths, and ninth chords. And they can learn it in a very short period of time. Mm 
They just don't have the reaction. You go play an A7, they might go, uh, and then trying to get their fingers into it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but that, that that's all part of the, 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 the whole evolution, right? It's like we pick up where it took you two or three or five or ten years to figure out something, and then you give it in half an hour, and the next guy picks it in half an hour, develops over, over six months practicing yes. the idea. So it's, it goes faster and faster. So in 50 years, 100 years, people will be looking back at whatever it is that took you Uh, 20 yes. years took me five and to, to, to take them a week to learn. So that's all a part of the evolution yeah. of the, the instrument, which leads me to a question that I personally wanted to ask you, which is, because yes. it's something that I've asked most of, of the, the most seasoned players. I even asked Ahmed, which is, you know, your importance in the whole evolution of the instrument, the dynamic of the, the teaching of the, of the, the exposition, of how it grew over the past Uh, since you've played, I don't know, 30 years or, or whatever. Uh, and you know your presence online, it's the biggest one uh, so far. So how do you picture yourself uh, or the importance of what you've given already to the stick community? How does that make you feel? Because I know Emmett realizes that he's done something that changed the world, even though most people don't know it yet or it's not acknowledgeable. I don't know how to say this. Acknowledgeable. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, but... Yeah. We all know what he did changed. It changed our lives, but it changed a little bit of the world also already. So, and what you did also did change a bunch of people's lives and it changed the world in a little bit. So how do you feel about, you're still here, you're still working, you're still developing, you still have things to do, but you've already laid, uh, have you already made a mark in the world? So how do you does that make you feel as a as a human being not just a musician but as someone that was that has a purpose in life or that wants to have a purpose and i mean how does that make you feel you know it, it's it's kind of funny because i guess what you're sort of saying is something i might even do in my own conscious and that is there are times i have to go you know uh, like i'm this whole thing i talked about like trying to put more meaning to my music and help people. And I feel bad about people that don't have in the world. Right. And then there's times I have to stop and go, you know, you did all right. <laughs> I mean, you're doing okay. You know, that, that don't, don't overthink how, don't think too much about the things you didn't do. And that, that's, that is kind of a human tendency sometimes is we, we all go, God, if I would have, or I wish I could have helped more, I wish I could have done more of that, or I wish I could have been here at that time. So your question is kind of like me sitting, meditating, and, I'll, and, and, and this could be something that would pop up. I'd go, how do I feel about, uh, you know, video, all these lessons and stuff? And I feel good from the standpoint, probably more about putting up the free lessons And the, and the videos, just in that I've given resources and things. And, and the key here is given, that I've been able to do that. I feel better in a lot of ways about that sometimes than I do about the making a living in music. Because the making a living is I'm getting money for doing something and playing and selling a CD and all that kind of thing. So I feel really good about the fact that I have been able to at least give to the community of the of the stick players and, and feel so... and. I probably obviously do because I feel connected with everybody in that way. And that's also reflected in your book. Oh, in the, in the, in the table book. Yeah. In the Chapman stick book, which yeah. is beautiful. And I've given it as gifts to people and I've had Emmett sign it. And let me tell you, there is like, it is the perfect gift. 
And uh, actually, when I was doing, when I was playing out a lot more, um, I would just leave that out on a music stand mm-hmm. out in front of where I was playing, and I could just be like page seven, like in the middle of a song, you know, just like get, go to page twelve, you know, like, like just shout out at them, and like, and they and they wouldn't have to ask me, and I was like, look. It's all right there, you know. So yeah. I'm going to tune, and then oh, I'm going to play. Really smart, and Gene. you've you've planted a distraction for the people that would distract you. It was fantastic. Everyone looked <laughs> at the big pictures and pickups, and all the guitar guys are like, "What kind of pickups are that, bro?" And I'm like, it's "Page 17." Yeah, that, that's very good because that is part of it too. As I put that book together, part of it is that when I go play, I could put it out on the table and people can thumb through it. <laughs> See, exactly. Look, Nobody you got it. Bob Colbert said, I'm high-fiving you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> truly, truly a resource that stickists can appreciate. Although I thought the title should be something like, it's not a sitar, yeah, it's yeah. a chap yeah, stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't quite go there. <laughs> so Bob, we really appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us. Um, we've covered so much with you today. It's been a delight. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your music? Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's also been, a, likewise, it's been a pleasure. So, uh, yeah, pretty simple. I don't do a Facebook much or a lot of things much. Um, I find it kind of overwhelming. So, with that said, email is the best way to get a hold of me. I check that each day, a few, several, several times. And uh, my website's still there. I apologize, I don't always update it properly, but I'm, I've been on it a little bit more lately. So the website's just kind of where you can go and uh, f- find out what's going on. My album is on there up for free for a while. And uh, I have it on uh, FLAC files, which is a little more of headphone kind of a situation. So I'd say, yeah, uh, email, website, um, those Your would be website the two. Is- Stickmusic.com, is that correct? Stick me, yes, stickmusic.com. Yeah. Oh, the email is bob at stickmusic.com. And then what about lessons? Can, do you give private lessons or are you only doing the Saturday sessions these days? I do. I have a couple students uh, and I teach on a whatever basis. You don't, It's not weekly or monthly. I have uh, one or two people that have been coming in weekly, some bi-monthly. I don't teach a lot. I only have a couple students. I don't pursue it, but I enjoy doing it. Um, but it's not like I'm sitting there putting it out like uh, I'm looking for students. It's $75 for an hour and $50 for a half an hour. Gotcha. And throw that out there. And uh, yeah, and I'm I'm totally uh, up for teaching somebody even just one time or two times. Like if they just want to step in and get a little advice. There's no There's no agenda to the lessons that way. Gotcha. Well... You're fun at a Chapman stick party, Bob Culbertson, let me tell you. <laughs> well, thank you. Cats meow, and we are so glad you're here. It, it, is, uh, it is always a pleasure, and I always learn something new about music and about playing with passion when, when we speak. So thank you thank so you. much for, for joining us. Yeah. Well, for those of you that have been listening, thanks again for joining us on Tap and Time, and we hope that sometime in the next day or so you get the opportunity to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. So now as we wind this one down, let's give the playlist for this episode that we pulled from Bob's catalog. 
First, we heard Play from his latest album, Being. Then it was Cup of Joe, taken from Cafe San Francisco. Following that, we had Native Universe, which is once again from Being. After that, it was Samba del Sol from Bob's album with Rick Alegria called Cause and Effect. And now we're closing things out with Through the Forest from A Moment in Time. your comments you can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com